Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back, everyone. Before we get stuck into today's episode, I wanted to remind you that you can save your seat for our free 60-minute masterclass on the top four diet mistakes that we see people making before coming to see us at the dietologist and how to avoid it. It has been watched over a thousand times and we continue to get incredible feedback about it. So save your spot using the link in the podcast show note below. Let's get into today's episode. We are welcoming back our team dietitian, Kaylee Slater, APD from The Dietologist. Welcome back, Kay. Thank you, Steph. Excited to be here. I haven't been on a podcast episode in a while, so. Very long time. Too long, in my opinion. Yeah, so this is a nice change. And today's episode is all about setting the record straight on a commonly asked question we get in clinic, which is, is soy bad for hormones? Oh, yes, we get this one. Oh, should we not be eating tofu or should I be worried about endamame beans? Uh, I thought they're bad for my hormones or fertility. So I am excited to unpack this. And it's arguably, I don't know if you agree, but I reckon it's been one of those most controversial foods up there with, you know, gluten and dairy, certainly in the fertility space. But whether that's actually true for things that are estrogen-related or hormone-related because of that NX, X, xenoestrogen, wow, brain farts, xenoestrogen effect is questionable. So I'm excited to dive into what the research says. So, Kay, can you kick us off? What is soy? What is in soy? What's the potential controversy here? Give us the lay of the land. So soy foods are made from soybeans and they're often eaten as edamame, tofu, tempeh. Um, Sometimes they're drizzled on dumplings as soy sauce or even added to a cappuccino as soy milk. So very, very versatile. And soy products have been really integrated into the Western food scene, especially with the rise of veganism and plant-based proteins. So especially in a lot of those plant-based meats, which utilize more processed forms of soy like soy protein. And soy contains all the essential amino acids the body requires. So it really is a complete protein, which you don't always find much of in the vegetarian and vegan worlds. So it really makes soy an excellent source of protein for anyone following a plant-based or vegan diet. Soy also contains dietary fiber, vitamin B2, and essential minerals. So we have potassium, iron, magnesium, and even in some cases, calcium when tofu is set in a calcium solution. Soy and soy products also contain specific polyphenols, which are antioxidants. And the specific ones they contain are called phytoestrogens and um, especially isoflavins. And the controversy really lies in the fact that these phytoestrogens have a similar structure to the female sex hormone estrogen, 
and can therefore mimic the effects of estrogen in the body. But the truth is that phytoestrogens don't bind to our estrogen receptors the same as estrogen in the pill would, or even estrogen that our body is naturally producing with our menstrual cycle. Instead, these phytoestrogens exert different effects in the body, and it depends on how much natural estrogen we have circulating in our bloodstream. So essentially, these phytoestrogens exert an estrogen effect when our circulating estrogen levels are low, so it may mimic estrogen, and they exert an anti-estrogen effect when our estrogen levels are too high. So instead, then it might block estrogen from attaching to its receptor. For this reason, soy and phytoestrogens have been linked to many estrogen-dependent conditions, such as endometriosis, for example. However, what I'm going to do is we're going to go through the research and see whether in fact this is actually true. So I'm going to go through a whole lot of different conditions and speak about the research in terms of soy. So let's start off with soy and PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. There has been some high quality research on the role of supplementing a particular isoflavin called genistein. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Genistein is found in soy products as well. So we're looking at the role of supplementing genistein in women with PCOS. And this has shown promising results in improving the hormone profile, menstrual regularity, and fertility, as well as managing some of the risk factors for future heart disease like high cholesterol. And this is just with three months of supplementation. So genistein is a type of isoflavin, and it has shown to improve both the hormone and metabolic profile of women living with PCOS. So looking at our estrogen levels from blood tests with your doctor or a dietitian, and then discussing whether it may be appropriate to, appropriate to include something like genistein in your management plan, or you could even start eating more soy products and legumes and chickpeas as well. Um, but it's always worth discussing this with your health professional before supplementing anything. So we'll move on to soy and endometriosis now. We get this question in clinic all the time, um, women that have endo, whether they should or shouldn't be eating soy foods. So what we see is that soy intake and endo have really gained a lot of attention because of the progression of endometriosis being classified as an estrogen-dependent condition, meaning that estrogen must be present for endometriosis to advance. And this has led to theories behind soy and its phytoestrogens in increasing the risk and severity of endo in some women. But what we actually see is that research has found that soy intake may actually have the opposite effect. So in countries that consume the most soy, Japan, for example, they have found that women who ate more soy products and its phytoestrogens actually had a lower risk of their endometriosis advancing or progressing. And this was due to the anti-estrogenic effects of the phytoestrogens, meaning that they actually block the estrogen from binding to its receptors. So if you have endometriosis and you've been wondering about this, you can eat soy products. Then we also have soy and menopause. So we have pretty good evidence to show that including bioestrogens in our diet can actually help reduce hot flush frequency in menopausal symptoms. 
However, there's not necessarily use for soy for other symptoms of menopause. But they also don't show any serious side effects either. This evidence is coming from a review that is using supplemental isoflavins, so isoflavins from supplements, not necessarily from food. But there's still no reason why you cannot apply this to just including more soy foods in your diet because obviously as dietitians, we always say food first. Now I'm going to start touching a bit on soy and breast cancer. So you may have seen soy and phytoestrogens being linked to breast cancer, maybe on the internet or a friend may have told you or something like that. However, let's go through the research before getting worried. So what we see is that one in eight Australian women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. And this is some pretty scary statistics. And breast cancer as a disease is strongly associated with estrogens and therefore soy consumption is often called into question from both a prevention and also recurrence topic. Interestingly, the incidence, which basically means how many diagnoses occur in a year, so the incidence rate of breast cancer in countries like China and Vietnam is much lower compared to places like Australia and New Zealand. And obviously, there are a lot of different factors to consider beyond just soy consumption between Australian women and women from countries like China and Vietnam. However, it has been proposed that soy consumption may be a potential key factor as well. So based on animal studies, soy has been shown to be protective. And in human studies, non-fermented soy like soy milk and tofu were actually more likely to be protective or even not associated with cancer, whereas fermented soy like miso showed no consistent pattern with cancer risk either. And in Australia, the Cancer Council states that there is not enough conclusive evidence or it is limited and therefore suggested towards a reduction of risk for a number of cancers when consuming soy. They do note that there's support of soy foods in the diet as per our national dietary guidelines, which favors the consumption of plant foods and soy products as well. Although they do not advocate for soy protein or isoflavin supplements for healthy men and women for the purpose of cancer prevention. For women who've already been diagnosed with breast cancer, a large cross-sectional study of over 5,000 female breast cancer survivors in Shanghai who were interviewed showed that soy consumption was significantly associated with a reduced risk of death and cancer occurrence. So that's some really interesting research coming out of there. Then we've got an interesting one. So we've got soy foods and man boobs, or something known as gynecomastia. So you may have heard a little while ago a study talking about soy foods being linked to man boobs, so boobs in men. So let's go through this research. Okay, so basically the medical term is gynecomastia. Now, in 2010, there was a review of the evidence, and this showed that there were no feminizing effects on men when soy was consumed at levels at or above typical intake. So typical intake would be one or two servings of soy products a day. There has been one case of a 60-year-old man drinking nearly three litres of soy milk a day, and he developed breast tenderness and also elevated estrogen levels. But let's just put this into perspective. That's three litres of soy milk a day. 
every single day. It's a lot. It's a huge volume of soy milk. And the author of this study even noted how unusual this case was. So based on observation, many men from Southeast Asian nations who consume soy foods regularly, there doesn't seem to be a man-boob issue being um, reported out of there. So there definitely needs to be more research to confirm the observation from that study in 2010, the man who drank nearly three litres of soy milk a day, um, and some sort of randomized control trial comparing estrogen levels in men after soy-rich diets would be a good research study and whether this manifests into anything clinical like feminine traits, breast tissue growth, for example. Um, But nevertheless, I think it's safe to say that if you stick to a sensible amount of soy products in a day, so one to two servings, that might look like one cup of soy milk and a serving of tofu, then you should be right. Okay, let's get into our last condition. We've got thyroid. Again, this is a question that we get in clinic all the time. So I've got a thyroid condition. Should I be consuming soy foods? So findings from a review provided evidence that in a euthyroid iodine replete individuals, basically that means people with normal thyroid function and adequate iodine levels, that soy foods or isoflavones do not adversely affect thyroid function. Now, in contrast, there was some evidence that suggested soy foods by inhibiting absorption may increase the dose of thyroid hormone required by hypothyroid patients. So for example, someone who has hypothyroidism might be taking thyroid hormone, might be taking something like thyroxine. If they consume soy foods close to the time they're taking their medication, that might inhibit the absorption of the medication. But that definitely doesn't mean that these people need to be avoiding soy foods entirely. It just means that they should space out their soy-rich meals with their medication like you would if you were having caffeine and mineral supplements, for example. So always consult with your healthcare professional for further advice on what this looks like and how to, how to do this. We also had a review done um, by some researchers in 2006, and they showed that there were no effects or very modest changes in thyroid function parameters across 14 trials with soy products, soy intake. So further to this, in people with normal thyroid function that also had sufficient iodine intake, soy foods and isoflavones do not um, negatively affect thyroid function. And the authors stated that in hypothyroid patients, um, they do not need to be avoiding soy foods. They just need to be making sure that their iodine intake is um, adequate as well. So again, if you have hypothyroidism, it's always a good idea to check in with the dietitian to make sure you're getting enough iodine in your diet. So aside from its protective effects in many conditions, soy and soy products are also extremely nutrient-dense and are definitely beneficial inclusions to really anyone's diet, and especially those following a vegan, plant-based, or even lactose-free diet. So by comparison, soy milk has the best matched nutrient profile to cow's milk, and this is because it's naturally high in protein and healthy fats, which many of our other plant-based milks can't offer. Soy milk is also um, now more often than not fortified with other nutrients that are found in cow's milk, such as calcium and vitamin B12. 
Okay, I think that's nice and juicy dive into the evidence for you. Steph, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was just going to say if you follow a plant-based diet or a vegan diet and perhaps you're consuming soy milk because we know that soy milk is most matched to dairy milk and perhaps a couple of your meals are based around soy proteins and you have these conditions or you don't have these conditions and you're concerned, I would say like we would have a very low degree of concern. However, promoting dietary diversity in terms of your protein source is probably a good idea. And certainly we know that when we're talking about soy foods and their benefits, we're talking about whole unrefined sources of soy like endamame beans and tofu and tempeh and rather than those highly refined hydrolyzed soy proteins that you find in you know meat alternative products like burgers plant-based burgers and you know fake chicken and stuff like that that stuff is a bit different to like going and eating endamame beans for example so just keep all that in mind if you're concerned about it obviously that's what we're here for so let us know but just don't drown yourself in soy foods three times a day and you should be (laughs) a-okay thank you Kay for coming on the pod and sharing all of that good stuff it was very insightful and we hope this podcast episode taught you something new we would love to hear from you so drop us a dm over on instagram which is at the underscore dietologist don't forget to hit follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform and if you could please leave us a five-star rating and review It is a completely free way for you to thank us for the time and energy that we put into researching and developing these podcast episodes for you for free. So we really appreciate it and share it around. Don't forget to tune into our free masterclass today. Avoid the top four fertility nutrition mistakes we see people make. Link is in the show notes. And until next time, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 